Okay, that was powerful this morning. Thank you. It's very good. I'm here again to bring some renovation. If you were here last week, we talked about life groups as one of the emphasis and renovations that are in vogue here in the church in this season. And if you were here, you would have remembered stickiness. We talked about how life groups can be sticky. They can hold you in place. They can get you in the direction you and God want you to go. And they can be flavor, flavor to your life, like maple syrup, that sticky stuff. Well, I got a new object lesson for you this week to talk about life groups, okay? A little compare and contrast real quick. And I robbed the toys of my daughters. There it is. Huh? That is going to mimic a cruise ship for us. Cruise ship. We're going to talk about a cruise ship and a whitewater rafting experience real quick. And the difference. Cruise ship. Somebody give me a word. Those of you who have been on a cruise or always wanted to go on one, give me a word that kind of identifies what a cruise is all about. Relaxing. Fun. Food, I knew that one would come out, yes, exactly, and I want to characterize cruise ships kind of like a Sunday morning service. It's a good thing. Do not hear today that Sunday morning is not a good thing. It is a good thing. We got food, coffee, it's fun. There's a certain relaxation to you being able just to sit there and take it in, right? There's convenience. People meet you when you walk in the door. They meet you at the door. They hand you out things. It's like a cruise ship. It really is. The people interaction is often short and optional, just like a cruise. You, you can kind of do your own thing. You are unknown oftentimes on that cruise ship. And that's how it can kind of be here. Now, whitewater rafting, a little different. Here's whitewater rafting. I think it's actually a pool, but we're going to call it a raft, all right? I only had certain toys to work with. The rafting experience. Now, it's smaller, isn't it? When you get on a raft, usually on the outer edge there, 10 or 15 people are sitting. And in that experience, give me some words. Those who have been whitewater rafting, what's that like? Exciting. Teamwork, I heard. Wet, yes. There may be some falling off, unlike the cruise ship. Dangerous. And exactly right. You guys are working real well with me this morning. A small group or life group environment is going to be a little more intimate. It's going to be more adventurous because real life comes out right there. It doesn't hide behind the crowd on a Sunday morning. You get to talk about the real stuff. You actually have roles and responsibilities in a life group where you are ministering to another person, oftentimes by just listening, praying, caring, as we're going to hear today in the sermon as a function of a life group. And so... I would encourage you, if you haven't been in a life group here at Grace Chapel, to strongly consider taking on the adventure that it is, to get closer with a smaller group of people on a regular basis and go down the river that way. If you look in your bulletin, last thing, details of what this opportunity is all about is in pretty blue in the bulletin. It talks about the ways in which you can sign up out here for dates that you would prefer to maybe meet on a weekly basis. Next week, we're going to show you who the leaders are. We're going to have a pizza party after the second service so you can come and meet people who you might want to come into their home or meet in a corner here on a Wednesday evening. Thank you for your time this morning.
Today we'll be reading from 1 Thessalonians 3, 9-13. How can we thank God enough for you, in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. How may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you? May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. In uh, Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, it says that the disciples devoted themselves to prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer and the result was that God gave them unity and that they saw miracles and that hundreds of people came to know Jesus Christ. There's nothing the church can't do. There's nothing the church cannot accomplish if it's a church that prays. As we look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, we discover a pattern, a pattern of effective prayer. This morning, as we continue our series, Renovatus, I want to look at, I want to look at prayer in the life of the church and also in our individual lives. How, how, can, how can prayer renovate our lives? How can it change our church? How can it change us as individuals? Well, in 1 Thessalonians 3, it shows us first that effective prayer, effective prayer is thankful prayer. People who are thankful. We need to be thankful. In verse 9, it says this, How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Twice in this verse, he mentions God. Paul mentions God. And twice in this verse, he mentions you. Seems to leave himself out here. He doesn't mention himself that much. He's not, he's not bragging on himself, though, though he most likely led all these people to Christ. Now, I'm sure I didn't lead all of you to Christ. I left some of you to Christ. But Paul, most likely here, led most of these folks to Christ. And he, he leaves himself out. He doesn't, he doesn't put himself in the forefront. He mentions God twice. He mentions you twice. You know, I, I find something significant about the words that he uses here. Paul understood that success in ministry is, is brought about by prayer. And the power of prayer comes from God. It's not about him. It's not about what he can do. It's not about his gifts and abilities. He's saying the most important thing is prayer. And who brings about, who, who is, who's behind the power of prayer? And that's God. You know, we are just human instruments. God uses you. God uses me. We are his instruments. So instead of bringing glory to himself, instead of drawing attention to himself, like many people in our culture do today, Paul gives the credit to God. Paul gives the glory to God. You know, when you think about praying, some of you are new Christians. You think, well, I'm not really sure how to pray. That's why I don't pray. It's very important. It's a great thing to do to start out your prayers with thanks and praise. In Psalm 100 and verse 4, it says this. It says to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Spend that time praising and thanking God. May that be the first thing that we do when we come before God. We thank Him. We give Him the glory. We thank Him for things He's done in the past. 
We focus our attention on Him. Paul also tells us that our prayers should, should be relentless. Our prayers should be relentless. We need to pray all the time. He says night and day we pray. Night and day we pray. I mean, think about this. When was the last time something so touched or moved you or so burdened you that you were, were, were urged to either get up in the middle of the night because it, it woke you from your sleep, it was on your heart, or that you just couldn't fall asleep because you were praying for this? You were crying out to God for this. When was the last time you were so burdened that you, you prayed that way? You know, we almost lost our, when you guys went through this with us, we almost lost our grandson Oliver when it, right after he was born. I'll tell you what, I was trying to find a word for that. It injured my heart. That, that whole experience injured my heart. And, and Deb's as well. And we prayed, we prayed day and night for Oliver. You know, I know many of you are praying with us, and it's amazing when you, when you go through a difficult situation, it is, it, is, it is amazing when you have people around you who are praying with you, who are praying for you. It's amazing what you can stand up under when you know you have others who are praying along with you. Many of you know Mike and Kathy Benkin. And I, and I asked them to come because they faced an even more challenging uh, season of their lives uh, with their granddaughter, Rachel. And I asked them to come and share how prayer, how prayer affected their lives uh, and also how being around those within the body of Christ and coming around them affected them as well. Is that on? Okay. Um, Hi, I'm Brian Hitchcock, and along with uh, Jeff Atkinson, uh, Jeff and Phyllis, uh, and my wife Karen, we lead um, a Tuesday night life group uh, in the Atkinson's home, and, uh, and Mike and Kathy have been uh, uh, part of our uh, life group for several years now, and uh, about the same time as they started coming to our life group, um, they had a pretty uh, major family crisis, as Jeff mentioned, with their granddaughter, Rachel. Uh, she was uh, diagnosed and being treated for leukemia. Um, and so uh, one of the things I wanted to ask uh, Mike and Kathy was, how did being part of a life group help you guys through that time? Well, I mean, the first, answer, the first thing that helped us more than anything was, is like, you know, the, the big question is like, why would God choose a one-year-old to give, him leuke give her leukemia? Mm. So that really helped an awful lot. But the, the biggest thing, I guess, was is, it's like if when, when you get a, when something like that and you're told something like that, it's like it feels like the, the weight of the world is upon you. Mm -hmm. And what happens with the life group is it really helps spread that out. I mean, it took an awful lot of weight off our shoulders So it's like because everybody else was willing to take a part of that same, that same problem, the same grief. So it really, that was the, probably the biggest difference of all. I'd, I'd like to back up a little bit and tell you about how we got involved with, in a life group. We, we had, Michael had gone to Nigeria. We started to come to Grace Chapel. And a couple said, Let's, would you like to go to a life group? We had heard about them. We had no clue what they were. So I said yes. When I told him, he said no. <laughs> so that's, that's how it was. And we argued all the way to Jeff and Phyllis's house. We were, and of course, we had to be the first ones there. We didn't know, have a clue as to what was going on. But it didn't take long for us to realize what these people meant to each other and what they could also mean to us. And it was... Um, it was a life-changing experience when we got there, and this was prior to Rachel getting sick. Um, 
How did you feel about asking for prayer from your life group uh, when you first started? At the life group, what we really noticed between all these people that were there, and there weren't a lot of us, I think there might have been 10 total, was at the end of discussing different things through the evening, and mainly we would focus on some Bible, uh, part of the Bible, which we had to go by. We didn't even have Bibles. But so we're there, and at the end, Jeff would always ask, um, are there any prayer requests? And I noticed that everybody would write down, and they would make sure and say, now, what was their name? And they'd say, Sue, or they had to have a name with it so that when they were praying, they could actually personalize that prayer. And I watched every week as people would ask for prayer requests. So it, it became, and I, then I heard the prayers that other people would say for these individuals, and they were so sincere and so profound. To listen to it, it just, it just weighed on my heart how much these people really cared about each other. As Kath was saying, it's like it was, it was, it was like we started off like there's this list, and here's these, you know, we pray for, and it wasn't like we just prayed for Rachel. It got, it got very specific. We sprayed, we always prayed for what was, you know, going on that week, and it seemed like in the battle of leukemia, there's always something new each week, some new, new problem, and it's like was this fungus or this, this this fever, and it's like we were kind of specific with our prayers, and it seemed like every week we attacked something specific, and every week we we had results. So how do you feel about that now? I mean, initially it was kind of scary, but how do you feel about the, the whole situation of prayer in the life group now? It's the first thing I did when we found out. Right before Rachel got sick, they said she had the mumps, and I kept thinking, I had the mumps. I know they hurt like the Dickens, and she wasn't feeling badly, but I knew deep down that something was wrong, and I emailed Phyllis and said, something's going on. They think she has the mumps. I don't think that's what it is. So the prayers had already started. Well, when we got the initial diagnosis, it was so devastating, but the first thing that came to mind was I was going to let our life group know so they could help us. Besides, they taught me to pray. I mean, it taught me that it's like, here's these people praying in our, in our life group all the time. So it's like, if, it was like, it had to be coming from me. I needed to learn how to pray to my family. So when all our kids were around, it's like, because I never did it. It's like, it was, so it was great to be able to, to, to get in that circle and to learn how to pray. And I still don't do it at the life group because I feel I can't do it. But I can do it at least through my kids. So it, it, it's starting somewhere. Well, thank you guys. Anything else you want to say? Just real quick, I would have never, we were at the hospital and we were getting ready to leave and it was just our daughter and our son-in-law and all of a sudden out of the clear blue, Michael said, we need to pray. And I, I could have just fallen on the floor because that's not something that he would normally do. And, and we joined hands and we prayed over our granddaughter and every time we left her, we did the same. And, and it's just become part of second nature now because we've been able to watch whom, people that have become very good friends teach us how to pray. Well, thanks, Mike and Kathy. And uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't also just rejoice in the fact that, uh, at least in this instance, God's answers uh, to the prayers for Rachel were positive um, from our perspective, uh, that she is uh, uh, doing well. And uh, we continue to pray for her. But uh, mm -hmm. thank you guys for coming on up here. And then Paul says uh, that we need to also pray in earnest. 
um, he says, we pray most earnestly. Paul uses a very unusual expression here. The Greek words here have the idea of going above and beyond all normal measures. You know, when you hear that word earnest, I'm going to pray with earnest. It, you know, from, a, from the standpoint as Paul's language, he's saying this is above and beyond all normal measures. Prayer must be earnest to be effective. It needs to be sincere. Weak, shallow, half-hearted prayers produce weak, shallow, half-hearted results. That's all there is to it. People say, I've heard people say, oh, I've tried that. Like, like I tried pants on. I, put my, I tried a hat on the store. I tried that. I tried that. Now, we're talking about, we're talking about prayer that is earnest. We're talking about prayer that, that, that where you cry out to God. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13, it says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. With all of your heart. That's what he's talking about here. He's talking about praying with all of his heart. And if I have to pull this thing up one more time, it's going to drive me nuts. So I'm just going to switch right now, okay, before I... <laughs> I when we first started the church, you wouldn't believe the kind of stands I had. Uh, one would wobble back and forth, and I had one just like that. It would just kind of move during the service. So I'm going to switch. All right. We're talking about, well, you know, he says, if when you seek me with all of your heart, that's when you're going to find me. Seek me with everything you have in you. Effective prayer has the idea of praying with passion, with praying with all of your heart. It's crying out to God. You know, we pray for each other. That's the kind of attitude we should have. I always think when something happens to someone else, it helps me to pray when I think, if that were my mother, if that were my father, if that were my child, if that were my grandchild, how would I pray? How would I feel? You know, Jesus is not an outside observer of our pain, but a participant with us in our pain. And what we need to do is come together in our life groups, in our small, in our small groups with men's or women's Bible studies. And when someone lays a prayer out, you need to just think through, how would I pray if that were me? How would I feel if that were me? Our prayers also need to be practical. They need to be practical. Paul says this. He says that we pray that we may see you again. You know, I hear people all the time say, and I heard it twice this past week, all the time say, ah, I don't want to bother God with this little stuff. How many people have ever said that before? Come on, raise your hand. I don't want to bother God with all this little stuff. He's too busy. God's too busy to bother with. I feel bad even praying for this type of thing because he's too busy. I heard that at least a hundred times as a pastor. I heard it twice last week. But I find something very interesting if you read Paul, especially even this just verse right here, these verses. Paul's praying about everything. He prays about every area of his life. There's nothing off limits that Paul doesn't pray about. You know, we, we, we worry so much about, oh, God, you know, if I, you know God's not going to want to listen to this. He doesn't want to bother with this. Listen to me right now. If you're in business, if you're a business person right now, you need to be praying for your sales in this kind of economy, right? You need to be praying about your sales, about your job. If you're a doctor or you're a nurse, you need to be praying about what's going on in healthcare. It's okay to pray about those things. You need to be praying for your patients. You need to be praying for all of the changes that are going on. If you're a teacher, you need to be praying about your school district and the levies that might pass or not pass, about your students. If you're a student, you need to be praying about your grades. Seriously, you need to be praying about who you're going to be sitting with at lunch. And that's, that's huge. I know that's a huge thing. I mean, I talk to students all the time. You know what the biggest thing was before school started? Who's going to be in lunch? Who am I going to sit with at lunch? Remember? You think about that. 
You know, and we think, you know, so pray for your friends, pray for your classes, who you're going to be sitting with in your classes and, and, and how your school day is going to go. These things, if they matter to you, they matter to God. If they matter to you, they matter to God. Nothing is too small to share with God. It's not like he's going, oh, no, no, I can't listen to that because I've listened over there. God, God can hear all things at all times. He's not worried. I mean, you know, obviously, there's always going to be children starving in Africa. And you're, you're, worrying about, you're worrying about where you're going to sit in the lunchroom? Yes, you are. And God cares about who's going to be sitting with you at lunch. At the same time, the person's crying out from another country that they're starving. God can hear them both, and he cares about the details of your life. And it's not just because you go there when things are really burdensome and overwhelming. You build intimacy and relationship when you share with people the simple things in your life. Can you imagine only sharing the big things with everyone you're close to? Oh, I'd love to tell you. Oh, guess what happened on the, I saw this on the, oh, no, that's right. That's not important. I'm not going to talk about that. Oh, I, I, I was feeling, no, I'm not going to talk about how I felt. That's no big deal. I mean, what kind of relationship are you going to have if you don't share with the person you're talking to? All the little things that are going on in your life, it, makes it, it builds that kind of intimacy. I love this quote from Martin Luther. He said, pray and let God worry. It's profound, isn't it, from Martin Luther? Pray and let God worry. I love that. You pray and let God handle it. You pray and let God take care of it. Verse 10, it also reminds that prayer is purposeful. He says, and supply what is lacking in your faith. He wants to supply. Paul says, I want to supply what is lacking in your faith. The word supply here has to, has, it's, it's, its use it has to do with me, the mending of a broken net or the, or the, the mending of a broken bone. Like a, someone who, who mends broken bones or, or mends broken nets. He uses the same words here. Uh, in this verse, as he did in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, talking about restoring people who had fallen into sin. And then in, in Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 12, where he talks about, uh, he talks about you know, helping people, encouraging people, encouraging the body to do works of service. We talked about that last week. Same word here. Same word is being used. Paul cares about this church. He does. He cares about this body of believers. He's not just verbally um, giving them information. He's not just verbally instructing them, but he's praying that God would help them overcome their faults. So he's not just talking from his brain, his mouth. He's going to God and he's saying, he's not just instructing them, don't do this and don't do that. But then he's going and he's praying that God would help them overcome their faults. I prayed for all of you the la this past week, when I, as I read through this passage, I pray that all of you would, that God would help all of you and help me overcome our faults. That God would help us overcome the things that we're struggling with, those, those sins that so tempt us, that God would help us overcome those things. Because Paul truly cared about these folks. When we see faults in other people, when you see false faults in other people, do you, do you pray for them? When you see faults in other people, do you pray that God would supply what they're lacking? You see someone do something, do you pray, oh God, help that person, supply that person with what they're lacking in their faith? Is that your first response or is your first response criticism? 
you're critical of that person. Can't believe they did that. I can't, oh man, I, I don't want to be around this person anymore. Is, it, is your first response criticism to look at what the other person's doing and just criticize? Or do you go like Paul did and say, God, I pray that you would supply what is lacking in this person's faith. I pray that you would supply what is lacking in pastor's faith. You guys know me well enough. You know what's lacking in my faith. And you could sit, you, I could sit in front of, you know, hundreds and hundreds of critics but I could also sit in front of people who are saying, you know, I love him and I want to help God help supply what is lacking in his faith. When you see other people in the body, that should be our heart to pray that God would supply what is lacking in their faith. I mean, think about it. Do we immediately just pass judgment or do we, in our response, do we show love and compassion and grace to one another? When you see someone in the church not kind of your style of person or whatever personality, do you pray that God would just in, help them overcome their areas of personality weaknesses, that, that, you would, you come, that God would come around them and strengthen them and give them encouragement? Or do we just kind of sit back along with our culture and just, yeah, we just criticize? I, I, I try to apply this, this quote from C.S. Lewis with the people who are around me. I, I, the Word of God, I, I've, I've build my life on the word of God. But I'll tell you something, this quote from C.S. Lewis is one of them. This to me is my favorite quote outside of the word of God. It says, humans are very seldom either totally sincere or totally hypocritical. Their moods change, their motives are mixed, and they are often themselves quite mistaken as to what their motives are. I want, you, I want, that to, I want to read it to you again. Humans are very seldom either totally sincere or totally hypocritical. Their moods change, their motives are mixed, and they are often themselves quite mistaken as to what their motives are. If we understand that about each other, that's called giving someone grace. That's called just giving someone grace. It's allowing a person to, to mess up. It's allowing a person to be who they are and to encourage them. Not just look at them and say, just throw the baby out in the bathwater. Yet allow people to grow in their relationship with Christ. Our culture loves to talk about, uh, it loves to talk about like, you know, how we're supposed to be tolerant of each other. Tolerance, they throw tolerance around, but that's all it is to them, words. It's words while their hearts are at best aloof and at worst hateful. It's amazing in our country how we love to talk about tolerance and how intolerant our culture is of one another. I mean, go look at the news. It's brutal the way we talk to each other. And I'm not picking on liberals and conservatives, but liberals will talk about how, oh, how we should all be tolerant. But are they tolerant? And I'll and switch it around. Tolerance, my goodness. You know what, my friends? Prayer proves the sincerity of the heart. Prayer proves the sincerity of the heart. If you really care about someone, if you really want to see them grow, if you really want to see them change, if you really want to see them even come at it from your point of view, you need to invest in prayer for that person. We need to pray for each other. We need to give ourselves over to God in prayer for one another. In verse 11, we reminded that effective prayer trusts the results to God. It trusts the results to God. It says, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. Paul understood that only God could allow him to return to Thessalonica. Only God. And so he makes his plans and he puts it in the hands of God. He plans everything out, but he puts it in God's hands. 
That's what we need to do. He knew that God, here he says that God will clear the way. Paul knew that God would clear the way of all the obstacles that would stand in his way from getting back to Thessalonica. He knew that. But he also realized that God may not clear the way. But either way, Paul was content to trust the will of God in his life. He was content to trust God's will, whatever God's will may be. And that's where we struggle sometimes. If the answer is yes to the question you're asking, we're good. If the answer is no or wait, we're not so good. Paul was saying, whether it's yes, no, or wait, I'm going to trust God with all of it. Now, if you're not sure how to pray for someone, you're thinking, well, this is good so far, but I'm not really sure. You know, Mike was talking about it. He wasn't sure how to pray. If you're not sure how to pray, Paul here he gives us two important elements that he wants us to include, and those are found in verses 12 and 13. He said, first, he says we should pray that their love would increase. Pray that their love would increase. We need to pray for each other that the love that we have in our hearts would continue to increase. Verse 12 says this, May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. Now, I think we can all understand these words. We all, no one can ever get enough love. We can, none of us can ever receive enough love. So we understand what he's talking about here. See, if we're full of God's love, then it's going to overflow into the lives of other people. And as we, as we love others, as we invest in the lives of other people, it'll make a difference. It'll impact their lives. It's not enough to be nice, just be nicey-nice. Paul's saying that we need to continually grow in our ability to love others, that we should continually ask God to fill us with his love so that it overflows in the lives of other people. Second, he says, pray for spiritual growth, for holiness. Verse 13, it says this, may he strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. So first there's love and from love comes holiness. You have love, and from this love comes holiness. Holiness separates us from our sin and allows us to to dedicate our entire lives to God. It allows us to put aside those things that are tempting us. It allows us to, to overcome those things that are holding us back and to say, Lord, I give my whole self to you. I'm poured out completely to you, Lord. See, love and holiness go together. You can hardly have one without the other. You need the two working together. This is called sanctification. Sanctification. As God's love fills our hearts, sin, uh, a lack, uh, injustice, corruption are forced out of our lives. If, you're, if you have a glass and you can put something in the glass and, and the bottom and you fill that glass up, sooner or later what's on the bottom is going to come out. It's going to spill over. And that's what, that's what we're talking about. Sanctification, God's love comes in. Holiness comes into our lives and pushes out our sin, pushes out the way we treat each other if it's in, in an unjust way, pushes out corruption from our lives and allows us to live the life that God has for us, becoming more like Jesus Christ. Okay, so now we know how to pray, but how do we make prayer a part of our everyday lives? Because we have, hey, if, we're, if this church is going to be what we want it to be, if we're going to go where God wants us to go, if we're, going to, if we're going to accomplish all that God has called us to accomplish, we have to be a church of prayer. We have to pray. Corey Ten Boom asked this question, is prayer your steering wheel or is prayer your spare tire? 
My friends, I can tell you this, if you don't make a plan to pray, then it will always be your spare tire. If you're waiting to feel like praying all the time, then you can probably guess that you're not going to be a prayer warrior. If you're just waiting to feel it, I, just feel, I don't feel like praying. If that's what you're thinking all the time, then most likely it's not going to be happening in your life. I don't know anyone who's an effective prayer warrior. I don't know anyone who has an effective prayer life who prays by accident. As time goes, I don't think about it. I just you know, go by and if I pray for something, I pray for them. If I don't, I don't. I don't know anyone who just prays by accident who's effective. So let me share some simple thoughts here as we close out to help you in your plan of prayer. You need a plan. It needs to be a plan. And I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to make it too structured, but you do need a plan. Let me throw some thoughts out. You, you'll find your prayer life growing in leaps and bounds if you'll pick one or two other people who will pray with you on a regular basis. Someone who can help keep you uh, accountable because it becomes a habit. And so there, the consistency starts to build in your life. You get a couple of people around you and you pray with them and that builds accountability, it builds a habit, and it builds consistency in your life. It also helps to pray at the same time every single day if you can. Now, you can pray throughout the day. I'm just talking about one specific time that you maybe think, I'm going to pray this time and regardless of what else happens, I'm going to pray every day about this. Because that, again, it creates a pattern in our lives. It helps create that pattern and, and that consistency. So think of one, maybe one time in the day that you can pray and go from there and build from there. It's also important, maybe you can, it, it, some of you enjoy writing. Some of you enjoy journaling. Journal your prayers. Here's how this will help, okay? If you journal your prayers, you write that down in your prayer journal, it, you're, what you're doing is you're saying, okay, now I have, I, I've captured this prayer. And because a lot of times we pray and we forget what we prayed. God's answering your prayers all the time from a year ago. You forgot you even prayed that. So you don't really thank him because he's answered your prayer that you asked a year ago or two years ago or six months ago, but you forgot you even asked and he gives it to you and you don't thank him because it just no, it went off the top of you didn't think about it anymore. This will remind you that you asked this prayer, and then you'll also get the response, and you can write that down. And as you go back in your life, you'll say, yes, I see the power of God working in my life. I prayed this, he answered. I prayed this, he said, wait, and then he answered. You, you begin to build strength in your relationship with God. Another way is to study the Bible and pray scripture. Study the Bible and pray scripture. Prayer and the word of God go together. Listen, this is important. If you pray without the word, your faith can become unstable. If you just pray and pray, but you're not reading the word, your faith can become unstable. If you just read the word, but you don't pray, you don't pray, then your faith can become cold and stagnant. So you need to pray and you need to read the word together. When, when, the, when you combine the, the, the power of God's word with the power of prayer, your life is transformed. You, get, you, you, are, you are a stronger believer in Jesus Christ and your prayers are more effective when you combine the word of God, the truth of God's word and the power of prayer, your life is, is changed. You become a stronger believer in Jesus Christ and you are more effective in your prayer life. My friends, the more time, think about this, it's, it's simple, the more time you spend with God, the more, time, the more time you spend with him and get to know him in his word, the more time, the more intimacy you want to spend with him. The more you get to know him, the more you want to spend time with him. That is so important, to spending that time with God. E.M. Bounds wrote this, Those who know God the best are the richest and most powerful in prayer. 
little acquaintance with God and, and strangeness and coldness to him make prayer a, re, a rare and feeble thing. A rare and feeble thing. As we close out, I want to encourage you this morning. We're going to have some prayer people up front here to the left of me. If you need to pray about something in your life after this service, we want you to come forward, come right up here. We have people who will pray with you. At 4.30 tonight, we're going to come back for a time of prayer. If, you don't, if you're not comfortable praying out loud, you don't have to pray out loud. This is not going to be going around a circle praying out loud. This is going to be a time of prayer. We can come together and pray silently and pray out loud and pray for each other. You want to come back at 4.30, let's spend some time as the body of Christ in prayer. And then right after is Renee Gonzalez and Craig Avon are doing a concert here as well. And so if you'd like to stay for that, you can do that as well. Just make it a time of prayer and worship tonight. Let's bow our heads. Father God, thank you so much for this incredible day you've given to us. And thank you for the way you're moving in our church and in our lives. And we just pray, dear God, that you would continue to put upon our hearts the desire, the need, that passion to pray. Because we know that a church that prays can accomplish all that you have called us to accomplish. And so, Father, we pray that we would become more prayerful, that we would, we would cry out to you on behalf of those around us, and that, Father, you would show us miracles, that people would come to know you, and that, Father, our lives would be renovated, restored, renewed, refreshed, as you use prayer to change us, to become more like your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Have a great week.